There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. Greg, good to have you back. Yep, nice to be here. It was strange missing a week, but you handled it beautifully on your own. Well, I wasn't exactly on my own. I did have Shea Katria from Russell Investments join me. I had a really good discussion with him about current events, items happening in the markets and the economy and I really enjoyed the conversation. Did you get yeah, a chance to listen to I it? I did. I did. Yeah, it was great. Very informative. Well, it was a much better interviewer. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Without me getting in the way. Just joking. But that conversation got us thinking about this conversation. So as the stock market has had, I would say, some bumps this year, but at the same time, the bond market has actually had its worst start to the year since some say 1980, some say 1926. Investors are asking like, where can they hide? What should they do? So today, we're going to go through current questions that we're getting from investors to try to tackle some of those. And a lot of the discussion is going to be around bonds this time. And we did go through sort of a lot of questions and answers that people are having about bonds a couple of weeks ago. But I think because the situation has not reversed yet and might not reverse for quite some time, people are continuing to get antsy. And that can come from looking at your portfolio too frequently but we have to be able to deal with it and answer those questions. So that's what we're going to do today. Well, especially because people use the words like transitory to describe what's happening. And some say, well, you said it was transitory, but it seems like it's here for a while. And I guess the answer to that is, depends on what your definition of transitory is. Is that like three weeks or is that two years? Exactly. Timeframes do tend to get short when people are watching things go down. Well, and everybody with an Apple phone... An iPhone. Greg, am I recommending that people use iPhones? Well, they're great. You I know, like them. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there are other options. <laughs> but yeah, but my point is with an, everybody that has an iPhone has access to a stock market app. And I often question why everybody that gets an iPhone has that app because it does lead people to maybe watch a little too closely sometimes. That's right. And things happen quickly. And these days, the volatility is pretty dramatic. So you can start the day up 400 points and then down 200 in terms of the major stock indexes or vice versa. So checking it in the morning won't really tell you the whole story. Well, I think the day that Russia invaded Ukraine, the Dow Jones opened up down 1,000 points, somewhere around there. And by the end of the day, it closed positive. That's right. From a moral stance, I have a problem with that. Exactly. We'll save that for another discussion. So for today, Greg, first question that we get from people are, why are my bonds down? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and the basic reason mathematically is that as interest rates go up, then bonds with a particular coupon rate attached to them, which might be lower than the current rates, they're the new rates, go down in value. That's just, you've got something that's paying a lower coupon than you could get today. And so we talked about the fact that it's a bit of a teeter-totter effect, is that interest rates go up, bond prices go down, and vice versa. And we've seen that a lot where interest rates have gone down a lot, obviously leading to the ultra low interest rates we had coming out of the pandemic and bond prices went up during those times. 
Well, that leads to my next favorite part of that question is, why would I own a bond fund or a bond pool that doesn't mature when I could own individual bonds and I know they mature and I'll get back my $100 at maturity? How do you answer that question? One of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago was the fact that, well, a bond fund is just a collection of some large number, maybe two or 300 or even up to 1,000 individual bonds. That all mature. And each of those individual bonds has a specific maturity date. And so owning a fund is no different than owning a whole bunch of individual bonds. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. But the bond market, like year to date, if we look at how it's done, and we're looking just for reference sake, XBB, which is the iShares Canadian Universe Bond Index. That's right. It's the exchange-traded fund that tracks the what they call the Universe Bond Index in Canada. So year-to-date, it is off somewhere around 7%. So negative 7% year-to-date. That's right. How does that compare to the stock market? And how does that compare to the preferred share market? Right now, I think the stock market is actually in Canada. The stock market has been outperforming the other stock markets around the world. But, you know, if you look at the U.S. market today, I think as of today, the U.S. S&P 500, so the broad index of U.S. stocks, was down about 6% or so. And the international markets are down about 14% right now. Canada is, I think, we may even be up a little bit, 3.5%. We're seeing a divergence right now of performance in stocks and bonds. I think the thing that when we talk about rising interest rates and how that affects bond prices, one key thing to remember is that rising interest rates don't impact all bonds the same. So, for example, you had mentioned right now the Canadian bond index universe is down about 7% year to date. But if you strip out and only look at the short-term bonds, the short-term bond index is only down 3% year to date. Likewise, you'll see differences with corporate bonds and high-yield bonds. And so every bond is different. They've got a different maturity date, a different coupon rate attached to them. And those can all determine how a bond reacts to rising interest rates. But let's focus on the U.S. just because the U.S. is the biggest market participant, right? Sure. Or biggest component of the market. Because the question I get is, okay, bonds are down, whatever that number is, minus three, minus 7% year to date. The stock market's down, and I'll just say the S&P 500 is down some number. 6% or something. You know, so people are like, well, where do I put my money? Like, I can't put it into bonds, they're down. I can't put it into stocks, they're down. But we got some great data from PIMCO, because this is just like a snapshot in time. And the data from PIMCO shows that over the last, I don't know how many years, this is 47 years or so, core bonds and the S&P 500 have never realized a loss in the same calendar year. That's one of those things that comes up from time to time. We talked about in the past how people look to bonds to behave differently than their stocks. And so what they're hoping for is that if stocks go down, bonds go up. And if bonds go down, stocks go up. Which is the normal relationship. It's typical. I wouldn't say it's normal from the standpoint that in any one year, you actually expect and hope, obviously, but also expect that both your stocks and your bonds will go up. It's just that bonds are not expected to go up at the same pace that stocks go up. But it's nice to have something that's negatively correlated. So, for example, if you look at a very, very bad year in the U.S. stock market, and I think most of us will remember 2008. Oh, I knew you were going to bring that up. Yeah, It's a bit of a bad year. Stocks were down 38% that year, U.S. stocks. Well, they closed, in Canada. they closed down 38%. They closed down 38%. And as it turned out, from high to low, so from the highest peak to the low of the global financial crisis, they were actually down by 50%. But even just looking at that worst year for stocks, down 38%, first of all, I believe that 
that year, bonds were actually up about 8% at the end of the year, even though for a short period of time in 2008, bonds were down as well. And so you saw that correlation did not last for a long period of time. But also in the US, the worst year for bonds was 1994, the worst year in the last 47 years. And it was down 2.9%. So when you look at, well, what's the worst case scenario for bonds versus stocks? You see that, okay, well, bonds can go down. Sure, they can. They went down 2.9% in 1994. That's very different. That's stocks and bonds. Let's go into the next question we get. This one always bugs me. My friend's broker told them to sell their bonds and buy stocks. Should I do that? Well, interesting question. And the answer might actually be it depends. And what it depends on is what is your strategic asset allocation? Or put more simply, what is your goal in terms of how much of your assets you want to have invested in stocks, in bonds, and in cash or short-term investments? To me, the answer is, well, if you plan to have 60% of your money invested in stocks and you already have 60% in stocks, then selling bonds and buying more stocks would be the wrong thing to do. Well, it just puts your risk level at a much higher rate, right? Exactly. So you're getting out of a low-risk asset And just because an asset has lower risk or lower volatility doesn't mean it can't go down. It just means that over long periods of time, the expected return is lower and the expected volatility is lower. And so making your portfolio riskier just because something is down doesn't make a lot of sense. I heard one too a few years ago when we went through a bad market. Somebody was looking at our model portfolios and they said, well, this other guy said that I shouldn't own bonds. I should own preferred shares instead because they give higher income than bonds. Let's talk about preferred shares because preferred shares, they kind of have bond characteristics, but they trade on the stock market. And so when we look at preferred shares, and I'll just quote the XPF, which I think is the iShares North American. That's right. It's it's an ETF that buys preferred shares from US and Canada. So year to date, we mentioned that the bond market was down 7%. What do you think the preferred share market is down year to date? Tell me. Well, you know, because it's right in front of you. It's minus 10 or so. I think it's minus 9.8%. So you're getting worse return with higher volatility than bonds, and it will not ever give you returns like stocks. That's right. In fact, maybe we should plan to do a whole podcast on preferred shares because preferred shares are an interesting animal because a lot of how preferred shares react to a variety of things that might include level of interest rates, interest rates rising, and the current level of interest rates at certain points in time, those can all affect preferred shares because preferred shares may have characteristics that bonds don't have, like the example extendable preferred shares where the issuer of the preferred share has the option of either redeeming or extending depending on what the level of interest rates at the time are. And so we've been through a really wild 10-year period with preferred shares because of all those factors. But the bottom line is that like bonds, preferred shares typically are issued with a fixed dividend rate, and that fixed dividend rate might seem less attractive if interest rates are going up. And therefore, they go down in price just like a bond might. Yeah, so it's the same argument. Somebody says, oh, look at this preferred share. I'm earning 5% on it. And I say, yeah, but I mean, you bought it at $25 a share and it's trading at $15 a share. So so what? You've lost $10 of face value if you sold it. And again, as I was saying earlier, because of some of the very specific features of different preferred shares, on the one hand, if it's a retractable preferred share, meaning that the company is required 
to call that preferred share back in at a certain point in the future, much like a bond will mature, then having a loss of $5 a share isn't that bad because you know at some point in the future you're going to get your money back. However, many of the preferred shares that are out there trading right now are these extendable or what they call rate reset preferred shares. And at the company's choice, those things could be reissued or renewed indefinitely. And in which case, then it's a perpetual preferred share and that has no maturity date. The price action could be very different. Well, let's go back to bonds for a minute, just for a second, because these are different asset classes you're talking about. So when we're going through that question of, should I sell bonds and buy stocks? You're talking about like changing risk allocations. Yes. But bonds themselves over the last 47 years have delivered positive returns in 42 of them. That's pretty remarkable because the stock market hasn't delivered positive returns in 42 out of 47 years. And more importantly, it's never realized two consecutive years of negative returns. That's pretty remarkable. That's right. And listen, the bond market last year was slightly negative. I think down maybe one and a half percent or something to that range. Maybe this will be the first time in history that we have two negative years in a row, but it's only April. I think we have to look at the fact that a lot of things can happen and not the least of which would be something bad happening to the stock market. And what we've seen in the past is when stocks start to undergo something more than a correction, then there's a bit of a flight to safety and people sell stocks and buy bonds and that pushes prices back up. There's no way to predict where bonds will end the year. That's right. Okay. Another question we got, this was from an article that was in the Globe and Mail recently. It was written by Gordon Pape, and I'm referencing him because he wrote the article. In it, he wrote about, maybe it makes sense to sell bonds and buy things like GICs or term deposits, because you can get maybe an equivalent yield and a guaranteed return over some period of time by a five-year GIC or a two-year GIC or whatever. What do you think about that? It's sort of the same argument as selling bonds to buy stocks in a way. It's like, well, okay, I've, I've decided that bonds are not a good asset class to be invested in right now. And so I have to buy something else. And if it's not stocks, then it has to be cash. And those are the two options. But I think the thing we have to consider is this. If we look at the drawdown that we're having right now in the bond market, which is extremely large in historical terms, which means the prices have come down a long way, then I guess what that strategy would have us doing is locking in a loss, which the loss, as we've talked in the past, that loss will go away over time. But rather than letting it go away over time, we're going to lock it in today and lock into a fixed rate for the next year or two or three at something like two and a half percent or something like that. And so that would be like giving advice to somebody during the credit crisis when the stocks are down 50% and saying, okay, well, now's the time to sell your stocks now that they're down 50% and let's wait until they hit bottom and then we'll buy them back. Well, that was the bottom. And with bonds, this could very well be the bottom. Maybe it's not, but if you had the choice of locking in a loss or hanging on, and realizing the increasing income stream that's coming from those bonds, because of course, in a bond fund, as new bonds are purchased, they're giving higher interest rates or higher yields than previously. So you're basically giving up a rising income stream in order to feel that it's somehow safe after locking in a loss. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know what I call that advice, Greg? Really bad advice. That's what I call that advice. And I think particularly when we talked about What's the worst case scenario? Well, I think in the case of bonds, we very likely have already experienced it. 
maybe it could get worse. But as we've talked about in the past, bonds will recover their value over time. Yeah, and I know we're spending an inordinate, is that a word? Inordinate? Inordinate, Inordinate amount of time on bonds. But the bond market is like twice the size of the global stock market, give or take. Globally, I believe the bond market is somewhere around $130 trillion, which is maybe Russian bonds aren't a very big part of that market anymore. It has a lot of power, but it's volatile like every other market, as you pointed out. And yeah, the advice of selling something that has a maturity in order to lock it into something that has a guaranteed interest rate during a time period when interest rates are going up, well, this just seems silly. Well, and in fact, if you look at some of the data that we've been provided in the U.S. in particular, since 1976, core bonds, which would be the equivalent of our universe bond index, have outperformed cash investments by 2.2%. And so you may get one year where you actually are really happy to locked in that rate at 2.5%. But typically, when you look back at the history of bond returns, those negative years that we've experienced typically get followed by quite positive years. That would be the equivalent of selling out at a low and buying back higher. Exactly the opposite of what you want to do. That's right. Okay, so another question we get is, with rising interest rates, why would I ever buy bonds now? Don't you know that bond prices go down when rates are increased? And we've got some data here that came from PIMCO, and it says, in years with rising rates, core bonds have delivered positive performance, returning plus 2.4% on average. So I guess that kind of answers the question. For sure. And listen, again, there's a lot of factors that can contribute to getting a positive return on bonds, even when rates are going up. And this year may or may not be exactly the same as those years. But I think there's a lot of history there that you can hang your hat on the same way we hang our hat on the history of stock market returns. We know that stock markets go up maybe two thirds of the time and go down one third of the time. And based on that, we're comfortable owning stocks in the long run because we expect and hope that they will continue to do what they've done in the past. And it's the same thing with our bonds. This is the way bonds have behaved. We've been through periods of central bank tightening before. So this isn't the first time. We've started from a very low level of interest rates, and that will affect the extent to how much we go up or how much we go down. But in the long run, bonds are still there for a very important purpose. Okay, let's move to a different asset class. So another question we get is, with the housing market spike or whatever you want to call it, wouldn't I be better off just buying real estate? How would you answer that question? Well, I guess I'd answer it the same way as I would the others. And that is, okay, so would it make sense then to sell something at a loss in order to buy something that's trading at an all-time high? So this could be just the same argument for that other article. I think it's the same argument from the standpoint that all of these recommendations, if that's what they are, are backward looking. Yes, real estate has done well. Well, lots of things have done well. Basically, all asset classes, including bonds until now, have done well following the pandemic. So coming out of the pandemic, a lot of people who are less optimistic call this the everything bubble. Because back in 99, 2000, we had the tech bubble, which is mainly a function of tech stocks going up. But this time, following the pandemic, we've had tech stocks, we've had energy stocks, we've had real estate used cars, pretty much everything has gone up fairly dramatically. And that you can track that back to whether it's lots of cash available from people with pandemic relief funds. But whatever the case, lots of asset classes are trading at their all-time highs, as were bonds. Remember, when interest rates were so low a year and a half ago, 
With low rates, that means bond prices were also at their all-time high. Yeah, I'm going to make an argument here to buy bonds right now. Absolutely. So if you've got things like oil and gas stocks that have gone up dramatically in the last, I don't know, three, six months, and you've got bonds that have sold off dramatically in bond terms, wouldn't it make sense to lock in some profits on some of those stocks and buy bonds that are trading below where you expect them to be? Of course it would. And you don't even have to make that determination tactically, meaning you don't have to try to make a prediction that, oh, maybe energy stocks will go down because they've gone up so quickly, or maybe something else, maybe tech stocks will go down because they've gone up so quickly and have come down recently. Because all you really have to do is rebalance. I mean, you and I are rebalancing portfolios right now as we do on a quarterly basis. And rebalancing is the practice of bringing the asset mix back to your target. And in many cases, let's use 50-50 because it's easy to imagine. If your asset mix has you at 50% stocks, 50% bonds, well, with the downturn in bonds recently, it could well be that your bonds are only 45% of the portfolio. And that means that just by rebalancing and not even making a tactical decision to buy more because they're cheap, just by rebalancing, you're going to be selling some of your stocks and buying some bonds. Well, and anytime somebody uses the words tactical, it just has me thinking of market timing too, right? That's exactly what it is, for yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, so we want to get away from market timing. I'm going to call it out here for anybody listening. Greg, market timing doesn't work. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. I don't care if it's a house, if it's a used car, a stock, a bond, whatever. As you say, it's very easy after the fact to say, I should have done this because it was so obvious. I mean, of course it wasn't obvious when it happened or you would have done it. I think we've got through the majority of the questions that we get. I would encourage anybody to contact us, though, with other questions. For sure. Yeah, and we're happy to talk about them. We're happy to talk about them in person, and we're happy to talk about them in our podcasts. Yeah, for sure. But these are things that are important to people, and they have questions or concerns because there's a lot going on in the world right now. And trying to pull it all together, well, of course, it's virtually impossible to pull together everything that's going on in the world and make any kind of accurate prediction as to what's going to happen. But sometimes just understanding what's going on and making sure you've got a plan to deal with all of the possible scenarios can make you feel a lot more comfortable. Greg, I saw something on LinkedIn the other day, and it was an article where Kathy Wood, the fund manager we've talked about in the past, has made a prediction that her flagship fund is going to be up 50% over the next few years. And there were a lot of people that wrote comments in there about how, well, if she can predict that it's going to be up 50% next year, why didn't she predict last year that it would be down 50%? Exactly. Is that the same argument? Well, it is. And it's one of those things that sometimes you can catch a wave and momentum will carry you. And sometimes you fall off the top end of the wave. Momentum carries you in the other direction. Okay. So a couple last items here. So in conclusion to this conversation... Because the question is, stocks are down, bonds are down. What do I do? Where do I put it? And if somebody said that to you, Greg, should you buy or own stocks? The answer would be? Yes, absolutely. Of course. Should you buy or own bonds, Greg? I believe so, yes. Yes, absolutely. of course you should. And with the idea, as you mentioned, focusing on your asset allocation first. So that asset allocation is going to be determined by how much risk level is appropriate for you. And I would say that For anybody that's sort of running for the exits, maybe they have to revisit, was their asset allocation actually appropriate? That's right. You can do this drill. Anybody can do this drill. It's called a lifeboat drill or also called a muster drill. In the cruise industry, these drills are performed 
to reduce panic if a ship is in trouble. So you often talk about, what do you say, a rising... Rising tide lifts all boats? A rising tide lifts all boats. Well, what happens if the boat you're on starts to sink for whatever reason? So a muster drill gives people the plan of attack, what to do. So you can do this in your finances too. So here's the drill. Greg, you want to know what it is? Please. Well, you know what it is, but so you start with your plan. So do a financial plan, something we've always talked about. Start with the plan. You identify what are your goals? Where do you need to go? How long do you have to get there? So what's your time horizon? And you assess your risk tolerance. That all seems pretty reasonable. All starts with planning. It's the same thing when you're looking at a cruise ship that's in trouble. And then you have to think of these what-if scenarios. For example, Greg, here's one. What if the stock market goes down? Rather than saying what if, it's almost a matter of when the stock market goes down. Right, What's going to happen? Or what if the bond market goes down? Yeah, happened. What if the Canadian dollar goes down? What if interest rates go up? Currently happening. What if the geopolitical situation changes? I think it's changed. We're in a big way. And then you have to answer, well, how will I react to these things? You can do this on your own. You can do it with a professional. We do this with clients pretty regularly. And we review your plan and then you got to check with it. Like, do I need to make any adjustments? Yeah, for sure. We've always talked about planning as being the key to any long-term strategy, including the investment strategy. Exactly. So understanding how you'll react to different events will help you stay on course. And I know people might get sick of hearing that, like stick to the plan, stay on course. But those things are real because as you pointed out in your examples, the stock market being down 38% in 2008, it definitely wasn't down 38% every year going forward. I mean, we've had a great, great decade of returns in stocks. So if the current market has, as I said, someone exiting their investments, then I guess the real question is, were those investments or that risk tolerance or asset allocation actually correct for that person? So I think people got to dig deep and look at that. Anything to comment on that? No, I think you're right. I think it's if you go into an investment strategy and your belief is that things will only go up, then I think you've got to change your mindset because we know that that doesn't happen. And what you're talking about with the lifeboat drill is we don't have to imagine it. We just have to look back in history to look at times when things have gone badly and what would have been the right strategy, how to get through that time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think of my golf game, Craig, I'd really like to go golfing and then it snowed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so there's, there's no golf. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so does that mean you don't like golf because it snows? No, I love golf. <laughs> exactly. And actually, I don't mind the snow. I just don't like them in the same season. Exactly. All right. Well, that was kind of fun. And I should mention that was episode 100, Greg. Oh, we didn't even nice. call it out. We didn't have any celebration or anything. Okay. I'll go have a piece of cake. All right. <laughs> okay. Anything to close out the show? No, I think we're having the same discussion about bonds maybe once every three years or five years that we have with stocks every couple of years because the incidence of stocks experiencing a bad time tends to be a little bit more frequent than bonds. But again, as we pointed out the last time we spoke about bonds, bonds have risk and we're experiencing that right now. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your money if you don't sell. It just means that the market value has changed and we hope and expect that it will improve over time. Well, and if you want to guarantee to lose your money, sell when it's down. That's right. That's where you get to lock it in. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Greg. I guess we'll pick this up again next week. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. 
We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Woodgundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Woodgundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.